Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. This morning we are continuing our series of hope for living faithfully during trying times. By beginning Peter's second letter to the churches, we've been blessed to have gone through 1 Peter, and now we begin his second letter. If you remember, just as a quick overview, 1 Peter had a great deal of focus on the physical types of persecution, suffering, and hardships that the churches in Asia Minor were facing during this time. Um, in somewhere the late A or mid eighty sixties, um, most likely around eighty sixty four, and Peter offers to them those struggling churches, those struggling Christians, hope in the form of Jesus Christ, holiness, pursuing holiness by looking to Jesus Christ, by resting in Jesus Christ, by following after the example of Jesus Christ. Well, as we transition from 1 Peter to 2 Peter, we will continue that theme of suffering and trials. But here, whereas in 1 Peter, the trials the church was facing was mostly focused on the physical, here we see a rise in spiritual challenges. That's not to say physical suffering is not spiritual in nature, but Peter recognizes in this letter that there are false teachers seeking to undermine the gospel And to that end, he writes the same message. He doesn't change the answer. He doesn't offer something different in 2 Peter than in 1. Whether it is physical temptation or spiritual temptation, whether it is persecution or assault or false teaching or false gospel, the answer remains the same. Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. Cling to Jesus Christ. Follow the example of Jesus. Jesus Christ. And so 2 Peter really is a, just another letter where we will consider Jesus. And so Lord willing, we will be doing this in the coming weeks. And this morning we will begin by looking at the introduction to this letter. And I invite you to follow along with me as I read for us God's word. I will read 2 Peter chapter 1, the first four verses. Simeon Peter Or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things. That pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The grass may wither and the flower may fall. But the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please go with me to the Lord in prayers? We ask his blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, would you water our hearts this day? Would you soften us 
Would you open our eyes and our ears that we might see you and hear you? Lord, your truth is good. It is good for your people and it is necessary for us. For we face many trials and challenges and difficulties in this life. And just like it was beneficial to the early church, so now I ask, O oh Lord, would you use it to nourish us? I pray that you would be glorified in this time. pray that you would give me wisdom and guidance. And that we would do all of this in the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we should any time we approach the scriptures... I want to give just a brief moment of context. Now, we are in book two of a three-part series, and we did just end 1 Peter, so you might wonder why give context. Well, things have changed a little bit between 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and I'm not going to linger on this long, but I do want to make just a few notes for you this morning. The book of 2 Peter is part of the divine-inspired Word of God. I disagree with any theologian who denies its place in the canon of Scripture. This book, if you look in critical scholarship, has probably been debated more than any other book in the New Testament. Um, This one was under attack. It was one of the first books under attack. And much of what it teaches is challenged, not because of what it says, but based on various goals of those scholars. And I disagree with them. I believe that it is rightly part of the Word of God, and it is good and beneficial for us today. And I take that from the early church's understanding of this book. I take that from God Himself. And the way this book itself agrees with the rest of Scripture, the way it teaches in line with what's been said so far, and from the author, which leads me to my second point. Peter wrote it. That may not sound like something that needs to be said, but that's actually debated. But if you look again at 1 Peter 1.1, Simeon or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, I take that to mean what it says. And I don't leave any room for discussion or debate on it. I truly believe that Peter wrote 1 Peter, and then he in turn wrote 2 Peter. But I present this to you because there is discussion or debate on the matter amongst liberal scholars. Let's, let's be honest. The next point of context, the traditional dating of this book is to place it somewhere between 64 and 68 AD, after the writing of 1 Peter around 64 AD and sometime before the death of Peter around 68 AD. Somewhere in that window, in that four-year window, this book was written. Could not have been written after that because I believe Peter wrote it and he couldn't write it after he died. And it couldn't be written before that, or then this would be called 1 Peter. And so we've got a very narrow window where this book needs to be placed. We also look at what it says in this book, um, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Peter speaks of his own death. He speaks of his own death in the way that Jesus Christ told him he would die. Therefore, we know his death is near. So I would actually place this book rather late, around 67, um, if you needed a, a, a more precise date. Fourthly, Peter was most likely in Rome when he wrote this letter. If you remember the discussion we had um, on, at the end of 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, when we got a greeting from she who was in Babylon, and one of the interpretations of that was the church in Rome. 
Well, we know that Peter was most likely martyred in Rome. Therefore, he could most likely be in Rome right now. Which would line up with how we read that as most likely the Roman church. And as we read that, looking at his death, that he is sitting in Rome as he writes this letter. And then lastly, and and this one's probably the the, the most important um, as it relates to our understanding of the book. I believe the audience of 2 Peter is the same audience as that of 1 Peter. Again, you, all of you biblical scholars may be saying this morning, Aaron, that's, that's a no-brainer, and you're right, which means you're better than most liberal Christian scholars. But um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says this, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder. The second letter written to a church to remind them of something that's already been said. If I'm reading that correctly, the only way to interpret that is this is again a letter written to the churches in Asia Minor, which would be mostly Gentile in nature, but also Jewish in audience. And so Peter is writing this near his death from Rome to the churches in Asia Minor. All of that is the context to which he offers the truths that we will go through in this book. Peter had a heart for these churches. It makes sense that he would want to speak with them one last time. We know he cared about them, as he said, over and over and over again in 1 Peter. And he wanted to to offer them strength for what was ahead. He knew he couldn't be with them. He knew he couldn't be physically present. And so he wanted to leave them with something that would last, something that would go well beyond his own life, something that would leave a legacy For those that would face trying times and hardship, even to this day. That's why we're reading and studying it now. And so what does Peter offer? What what does he give to this church that he's written to once before? What does he offer them? He offers them God. He he, he offers them Jesus Christ. And you note the the repetition of Jesus in in these four verses. And this morning in particular, we're going to see three blessings or three benefits that God provides. We're going to see first that God provides faith through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We see this in verse 1. Secondly, we will see that God provides grace and peace through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We see this in verse 2. And then thirdly, we will see that God provides escape from the corruption of this world through His divine power in verses 3 and 4. And so even as he starts this new letter with a new list of problems from a new location to the same audience, he simply says, remember what I've told you. Remember who Jesus is and remember what he's done for you. And that'll be our focus this morning. Would you follow along with me? And as is common in most New Testament letters, Peter gives that traditional greeting. He announces himself, he describes who he is and gives a bit of a rationale for why he's qualified to write. And here with um, Simeon or Simon, that's just a, a styling difference. He's not you know, calling himself one thing to one audience and another thing to another. Simeon or Simon, um, we believe to be the same word. He calls himself an apostle. So there we get his authority. There we get his ability to write and to do so decisively. I am an apostle of the Lord. And and, and note that, that he does not say, I'm an apostle of myself, or I am 
have my own authority or I have my own strength or my own teaching here. I'm an apostle of the Lord. In the same vein, he says, I am a servant of the Lord. You see, Peter recognizes and he wants the church to recognize that this is not his authority. This is not his teaching. This is not from him. It is from God. And that gives a weight to it. That gives a a trustworthiness to the message that he is giving. This also really flies in the face of Roman Catholic theology. They want to elevate him to this highest degree, to the Pope. You know, the first Pope. And Peter here really squashes that by calling himself a slave of God. He doesn't say the Pope of God. He does not say the Great One of God. He does not say the first in many long list of wonderful teachers and leaders. He says servant or slave, doulos. The lowest of the low. I, I am the least of which. In the kingdom of God. I serve him. And this is important. It's important that Peter describes himself this way. Because he immediately attaches how he describes himself to what he says about the church. If you look. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. By the righteousness of our God and Savior. Let's, Let's piece this apart. If we took that first section... To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, that sounds like bragging, right? That, that, that sounds like Peter is going, congratulations, you have reached my level. Welcome here to me. But that's not what he's doing at all, is it? Because context matters. We can't take half of a verse and come with a conclusion. You read it from the beginning. A servant and slave of Jesus Christ to those who have reached my level. Welcome, fellow slave. That would be more in line with what he's saying here. He's not saying you have obtained to the level of me. He's saying you are a fellow servant in Christ. You are in God. Because Peter would be quick to tell you that salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. And there is no distinction. There is no Jew nor Gentile nor Greek nor slave nor free. We are in Christ or we are not in Christ. That is the distinction to be made. And really what Peter is most likely saying here is there are people in the church that have gone from not in Christ or not saved or not believers by faith to those who are in Christ, who are saved, who are believing by faith in Jesus. And so Peter is really saying to these churches, the gospel is having its effect. And we are welcoming those who are sharing in that faith with us. This is actually a a mark of celebration. It's not a demeaning judgment. And we know that, again, not taking slicing up passages, but reading it in its context. To those of faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith comes from God. He is the one that opens our eyes. He is the one that brings us from a state of death to a state of life. He draws us to himself. I could take you to Romans chapter 9, a very good passage that speaks of that from death to life. Being apart from God to being in God. We cannot uphold God's standard. We can't get to a faith like Peter's, like the apostles on our own. We cannot achieve it. We cannot earn it. We cannot climb that ladder on our own. We need 
the righteousness of our God. And not only do we need the righteousness of our God, we also need the Savior, Jesus Christ. We need Jesus, who He is and what He has done and what He has worked in us and through us. And let me be very clear this morning. I I can't get to a passage like this without explaining this. Dear church, we have the same problem today. Individuals, we have the same problem today. We are sinners. We are facing trials and persecutions, difficulties and challenges. Many of you are going through seasons of life that that most of us don't understand. You can't make it through it apart from Christ. You will not have peace. You will not have hope. You will not have rest. You will not be able to endure apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing has changed. 1 Peter chapter 1 really speaks to this problem. Verses 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. But as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. All of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God calls us to perfection because he is perfect. That's our problem today. That's the greatest problem for your own life. That's the greatest problem for this church. That's the greatest problem for this world. The only solution is Jesus. The only solution for our lives today is Jesus Christ. And so the biggest blessing, the the greatest need and the greatest problem and that problem being solved comes through the righteousness of Christ. And it is solved. I'm not leaving you this morning with dismay. We don't leave you with, with worry and wonder. I don't ask you to leave today and go, boy, I hope I figure that out before I die. There is hope in Christ. And if you hear nothing else this morning, if you tune out, let me be as plain as I can. Trust in Jesus Christ today, right now, for the forgiveness of your sin. Repent and turn to Him and you will be saved, period. That's it. Right now, right this second. You don't have to wait. You don't have to find one of us after the service. You can do it right here, right now, and that is your greatest need. And so Peter leads off with that. He covers his basis right there, starting this letter, knowing they're facing trials, knowing they have problems, knowing things are going on in their lives. He says, before I cover anything else, you're going to hear the gospel. Because if we don't fix that problem, we can't touch any of the others. And this morning, you'll, you'll, you'll hear a refrain from me. It, it's going to sound like a game show, uh, because, but wait, there's more. Now that we get to that solution, now that we've covered our big problem, God doesn't stop there. He continues to bless us. There is more for the believer. There is more for the church. And so not only do we have our needs met by the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of our sin, we're also granted peace and blessing. We're granted grace. We see that in the knowledge of God found in verse 2. Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Almost identical verbiage to what he said in 1 Peter chapter 1. And we should read this not only as a greeting, but also a prayer. Peter's praying this over these churches. 
May God offer grace and peace unto you. And he, he couches it here um, with one change over First Peter, here in Second Peter. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, if we define those terms, grace is God's undeserved favor. It is receiving that which you do not deserve and that which you did not earn. And again, let's go right back into it. What is the greatest act of grace on God's behalf? By sending His Son, Jesus Christ. His Son, fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life of full obedience and then gave up that life willingly, sacrificially, shedding His own blood on behalf of sinners that those who trust in Him by faith might be called children of God. That is grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. The only part we play in it is we brought the sin that made it necessary. But let's also remember the context that we're, we're, we're reading this in. Let's not uh, take it too far outside of the original audience. You've got Christians who are dying. Christians who are trying to proclaim the faith of Jesus Christ, who are kicked out of their homes, they're, they're kicked out of their jobs, they're being scattered around the region. Rome is looming on top of them, growing even more and more of a threat. We're, we're right near the destruction of the temple at this point. And to them, to that audience, to, to dying Christians who are hearing false teaching and all this craziness is going on, Peter says to them, Grace and peace to you. May you have peace. He doesn't say may these things stop. He doesn't say may God make them go away. He says may you have peace in the midst of them. May you have peace as they continue. May you have peace while they're going on. Look at Peter himself. He's about to die. He knows it. And he knows it's not going to be a very pleasant death. Jesus promised it. And so the, the guy that's riding on his deathbed is saying, God's grace and peace be multiplied to you. And where does it come from? Where does this grace and peace come from? It comes from right here. The knowledge of Him. The knowledge of God. From Genesis to Revelation, these books contain the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. This collection teaches us what we need to know concerning God and how we're to live as Christians amongst this lost and dying world. This book is precious. And do you see the significance of this? Do you, do you see what the impact would have been for that early church? We have the answer sheet for the test. We've been given all of the answers. Do you want to have a marriage that honors God? It's in there. Do you want to know how we are to rightly raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord? It's in there. Do you want to know how to protect your church against false teaching and wolves in sheep's clothing? It's in there. Do you want to know how to be prepared for when Jesus comes back? It's in there. That's not to promise that all those things will take place. We are sinners. We are sinners trying to live holy lives. And so we will fail. We will miss the mark. But he has provided for us the answers to how to live holy lives before him. And what we're to know concerning him. It's a beautiful book. It's a collection of, of, of precious, precious teachings. And again, think about that early church. Think about that audience. They would have most likely been going to the Old Testament. That's not to make it lesser. 
Jesus converted most of the disciples using the Old Testament on the Emmaus Road and in that room as they were eating the fish. We have been given one of the greatest gifts of all. God's Word preserved for us in a language we can read, by the way. I know I belabored that last time in 1 Peter, but you can read it today. And if you are not English, native English, there's other translations. We can get it for you. We can do that because faithful men died. They died. Just like Peter, just like those in the early church, they gave their life so that you and I could be here today and that I could read this for you and you could read it when you go home and you could study it this afternoon. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. That's a promise that you will have grace and peace in the knowledge of God. You can have grace and peace today. Are you lacking that in your life? Here's God's word. Here's where you're going to find it. But wait, there's more. It doesn't stop there. Not only do we have our greatest problem solved through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not only is grace and peace multiplied to us in the knowledge of God, but also we get to flee the corruption of this world. We get to escape the challenges and the dangers and the snares of this world through God's divine power. We see this in our third point. And Peter begins, first, our second Peter really is interesting because I would make the case it's really one argument. Where in First Peter we had a lot of little arguments. Really, in Second Peter it's all one in three chapters, one big argument. And he starts it here and then Lord willing we'll just continue as uh, we go on studying. But he, he really gets into the meat of that argument right here. After introducing himself, after defining who God is, and after promoting God's word, he says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called you, who, who called us to his own glory and excellence. And notice that level of significance Peter places on God's word. It grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What were we called to in 1 Peter 1.1? Holiness. A level of holiness that matches God's level of holiness. How are we going to hope to be that? Through God's word. Through reading and studying God's word. Through applying God's word to our lives. How we have, the only hope we have is the power of the Holy Spirit working in us as we read and study and apply God's word to our lives. And then he continues, like I said, there's, but wait, there's more. By which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of his divine nature. You become recipients of the divine promises of God. And if I could offer you anything this morning in the source of hope, in the source of assurance, in the source of comfort through trial and difficulty... It would simply be this. Show me one place where God has not kept his promises. Find one. Once. Just once. Find me one time that God did not do what he said he would do. You can't. God is a promise-keeping God. And Peter says here, you become a recipient and a partaker of those promises. And what does God promise for your life if you are in him? He will see you through to the end. It doesn't get any better than that. 
But what, what more do we need? Sure, we can doubt and we can worry and we know our own sin and we know our own heart, but it's not about you. I say that in all love that I can. It's not about you, it's about him. I know you're untrustworthy, I'm untrustworthy, but he's not. We are part of the promises of God so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. And please don't get tripped up on that. Um, We're not saying you become God. We're not saying you mesh into the one. We reject all that false teaching and ideology. But you are spiritually and truly united to Christ when you take him by faith. You are a brother or sister to Jesus Christ. A fellow partaker. He took your sin and you share in his righteousness. That is who you are in Christ. So not only do you get to be a part of God's promises, you are welcomed into the family. I love how Westminster Confession of Faith chapter 12 states it on adoption. All those who are justified, God grants as favor in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which we're taken into the number And enjoy the liberties and privileges of children of God. Having his name put upon us. Receive the spirit of adoption. Have access to the throne of grace with boldness. Are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father. Yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption. And inherit the promises as heirs of the everlasting salvation. Dear Christian, that is who you are today. Whether you feel like it or not. Whether you're in a season of I believe that or you're in a season of I don't. It doesn't matter. It's who you are if you are in Christ this day. But wait, there's more. Last time, I promise. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That pesky sin. That pesky desire that's still in us, that makes us doubt those promises, that makes us think that maybe Christ is not enough, that that makes us worry and and makes us fear those moments of trial and persecution and and makes us um, really hesitant when um, bad teaching comes and and can we decipher what is good from what is bad. It's it's all that, that sin that gunks up the system. Well, Peter ends this section by saying, we have escaped that. Because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ clears our mind. He clears our thoughts. He allows us to to think soberly through the power of the Holy Spirit. By clinging to him and through his work. It is possible to have a new life in Christ. It is possible to have assurance of your salvation this day. It is possible to overcome temptation in Christ. You are not defined by your sin. You're defined by your Savior. Hear that again, because a lot of people need to hear that today. You are not defined by your sin. You are defined by your Savior. What does Paul say to many in Corinth? Such were some of you. Not such are some of you. If you were here today and you are in Christ, you are Christian. That is who you are. And just like in the early church, us here today, Christ the Redeemer, our only hope is Jesus. Yesterday, I was blessed to, to be a part of an ordination examination for a chaplain transferring into the PCA. 
It's a grueling exam. I'm taking six exams in front of the committee. It took about four hours. He answered questions on many topics, but I, I two questions that were asked, and <laughs> they were asked by people here, but uh, they were my favorite questions, not because we asked them, but because of his response. The two questions were this. What is the gospel, and is there hope of assurance of salvation in this life? And I feel like his answers really upheld what Peter is saying here, because he said this. There is hope because it's not about who we are or what we have done. Rather, it is about who God is and what he has done. And what he has done is provided his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice to serve as a mediator between us and God the Father. He paid our penalty that we might share in his righteousness. That, my friends, is the good news of the gospel. And it is the foundation for how we are to live to the glory of God. And by his grace and by his mercy, we will do so. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we admit to you that sometimes the trials seem too much. The persecution, the attacks, the difficulties, the challenges, they, they seem much more than we can bear. And Lord, we, in our worry and our fear and our anxiety, we forget how big our God is. We forget what you've promised. We forget who we are in you. Lord, just like Peter reminded the early church in this passage, remind us today of who we are. Remind us of the blessing that comes from being a believer. Remind us of the hope. Remind us of the strength. Remind us of the ability to endure for those who are in Christ. Even unto death, Lord. May we not forget one of the greatest marks of deliverance in this lifetime is to pass from death into life. For we go immediately into your arms. Father, be with your church and be with your people. We need you. We will not make it without you. And may you always be present before this people, in this church, and in from this pulpit. I pray all of these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.